0: I'd like to say that my high school coach showed me that, but actually I wasn't in sports. I was like one of those kids that was picked on by all the jocks. Maybe it's why I have issues today. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, I heard it, right? No, there's no I in team, right? And so I did a little research. And I'm like, okay, where does this come from, right? So you Google no I in team and you're expecting like, what's the guy that was uh, the Packers guy? Um, yeah, Lombardi, or you're thinking, wasn't there another guy that was uh, Van Brocklin or something? Wasn't there? Wasn't that a name that's a coach? Is it? Is it? No. Is it? No. Yes? Okay, at any rate, you're thinking something like that, you know. Not Phil Jackson, okay. A, that was a Chicago thing, and who wants to be involved with that? And B, uh, he would have been much more, uh, I don't know, something. At any rate, so I did the research right, and, and kind of, it's Drucker, right? Peter Drucker. Now, those of you that don't know, Peter Drucker was born uh, November 19th, 1909, in Vienna, Australia. Okay, at the age, 23 years later, he punches out a Ph.D. in international law. Oh my. like... Dang, man same year, he wrote two essays that are eventually burned by the Nazis, so he figures Germany isn't a safe place for him. He comes to the United States of America. He's an immigrant, right? You know, immigrants, they get the job done. At any rate, and he is introduced to this character by the name of Alfred Sloan, GM, General Motors, right? And he writes a book, The Concept of the Corporation, which influences, directs, kind of gives them insight as to how successful organizations work. Alfred Sloan said about employees, Criteria for success. I don't care if you like the guy, I don't care if you don't like the guy, I don't care anything about it. Performance, okay, which makes sense, right? If you can't do the job, then you shouldn't be in the job. And second, character. Two critical things: performance and character. At any rate, Drucker, the father of modern management, okay, in 73 wrote management tasks and responsibilities, practices, which is the magnum opus of what he did, and really kind of the, if you will, if you're a physician, think physician's desk reference, the, the, the whatever, that, the signature piece of work, right? He was also a consultant, and in many cases, when he would consult with someone, he would ask deceptively simple questions like, who is your customer? What have you stopped doing lately? What business are you in? If you weren't already in this business, he asked this of Jack Welch, would you enter it today? And if the answer is no, why are you still doing it? Doctor pushed his clients to stop simply making plans and to start taking Action. Drucker purified my mind, said Donald Keogh, former president of Coca-Cola. He would tell me after each session, don't tell me you had a wonderful meeting with me. Tell me what you are going to do on Monday that's different. And, and there's a part of that that I'm like, dang, that's kind of good advice, right? Like, don't have a good time here on Sunday morning. Tell me how tomorrow's going to be different. My sleeves are a little bit floppy. I just realized and hadn't buttoned these buttons. And it's a new shirt, so it's like the button things are really tight. There I feel a little bit less like a duck taking off. <laughs> I suppose I could just keep my arms still. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen either. Drucker, only three things happen naturally in organizations friction, confusion, and underperformance. Everything else requires leadership. Drucker also said there's nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency something that should not be done at all. And then the famous no I in team. The leaders who work most effectively, it seems, never say I. And that's not because they have trained themselves to not say I, they don't think I. They think we, they think team. They understand their job to be to make the team function. They can accept responsibility and don't sidestep it. The buck stops here. But we gets the credit. This is what creates trust, what enables you to get the task done. And we paraphrase it as there is no I in team. <laughs> but there is a me. That attitude is probably why I was a B student at the School of Business at the old UMD. Our text today, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's writing, right? And it's intriguing, right? Because Paul's this giant, right? Giant of history, giant of the New Testament, giant of the Christian faith. But even though you are giant, even though you are heavily invested, even though you know you are close to Christ, it's still pretty important to know someone cares. I think we missed that. Paul says, "You revived your concern for me." Was it on life support? The commentators all point to that that Paul's words kind of sound harsh, a little sarcastic, a little edge to them, okay? And all of them are like, well, of course he didn't mean that. He just, it's just the way it translates. And I'm like, no, I kind of think he might have meant it that way. I'll disagree with every commentator on this one. Paul feels a little bit like the grandmother who says, it's been so long since I've seen you. How come you never come around anymore? She's really glad to see you, happy you showed up, but is going to get a little shot in and sideways. Okay, if I'm wrong, it doesn't really change the reality of the point. Forgive me for that. It could be a little push or pull. Paul saying, "Hey, I like it when you're concerned for me, but but I don't I don't need you to be too concerned for me. You know, have you ever done that? Where you invite someone to get close and then you push them away? You just you want to keep boundaries. You want whatever you want to do. You just okay, come close." And, and if they come too close, you're going to push them back hard, but if they don't come close enough, you're going to be like, why don't you care about me, okay? Is it a little bit of that? This last week, um, we're, we're sitting with, uh, with our friends from Teen Challenge, okay, and Sam Anderson brought in three, three of his clients, and, and it was just a great time. I don't know if you know, Timberwood supports Teen Challenge. We support Teen Challenge, Okay because the dollars that you give, a portion of those go to Teen Challenge. At any rate, we're sitting there, and, and one of the clients is talking about, and these guys are, are, are like in the middle of the fire, right? They're at the sharp end of the spear. I mean, th- these aren't folks that are done. These are folks that are six months into a program. And by the way, they're looking for adult male mentors. If you're interested in volunteering with Teen Challenge, man, what a great thing to mentor someone. They want to mentor. They want to put a, a healthy chemical-free guy next to a guy who's trying to get chemical-free. What a great idea, right? If you want to be involved in that, let us know. We'll put you in contact with Sam, Team Challenge. But these guys talked about about this reality that that they want God to come close, and yet they push God away. They they want to get clean, yet yet there's this thing in their head that goes, "Yeah, Yeah, but... is that what we're dealing with here, this crazy dance? And I think we do that sometimes, right? We, we want God, but not too close. We want friends, but not friends who know all the dirt. We want to be cared for, but, but we kind of want to create impenetrable fortresses, fortresses of our own self-sufficiency, which in reality is kind of like an oak tree that's been attacked by ants, the heartwood eaten out. Two things at the same time, sides of a coin, if you will. Giving the care that someone else needs and getting the care that we need, that you need. We often talk about this discussion of turning from self to Christ, of turning from not God to God, of turning from self to Christ. And, and I would still maintain that the biggest challenge to our personal spiritual formation is self. But in that discussion, it would be easy to lose the reality that the care we need as individuals is something that we must look for and something we must allow other people to bring into our lives. Saying that I am in pain, saying that I am hurt, saying that I am in a bad spot is not a self-sufficient, not-Christ statement. Saying that I hurt is saying, no, I need care. I need the community. Paul says, I'm glad you've revived your care for me. The picture is, is of flowers, buds on a tree. The challenge is what what will people think of me if they really find out how messed up I really am? I mean, if I, if I say I need help, will they like me? Will they judge me? To quote the great theologian Taylor Swift, there's nothing like a mad woman. Do we have people that care for us? Do, do we have people that we let in? And, and likewise, are we willing to care for someone? Are we willing, I think Eric has used the phrase, get down in the dirt with someone? Are, are we willing to simply listen to someone else when they have pain in their life? Not needing to solve it, just listen to it. 2015, the musical, Dear Evan Hansen, Tony Award winning, Ben Platt, Laura Dreyfus. Is this, is this high school view, right, of how often at least I recognize I feel. The song, Waving Through a Window, it starts, I've learned to slam on the brake before I even turn the key. I've learned to slam on the brake before I even turn the key, before I make the mistake, before I lead with the worst of me. Give them no reason to stare, no slipping up if you slip away, so I've got nothing to share, nothing to say. Step out of the sun if you keep getting burned. Paul's like, I'm glad that you care for me because even though he's a giant of the Christian faith, he needs individuals in his life that are willing to be there. But in the phrase of come close but not too close, Paul's like, thanks for caring for me, but I've got this one. How often do we do that? Not that I'm speaking of being in need. See, I just, like, love Paul, right? You know, he just has all these inconsistencies. He's like, I love your care. I want you. Not that I really need it. Because I've learned to be content. What does it mean to be content? What are the contents of being content? See what I did there? To be content. What we may not realize is that Paul is using language that would have been very familiar to a first-century audience. He would be borrowing, in this case, from the philosophy that was embodied by the Stoics, a gentleman by the name of Epictetus. I can't pronounce his name, I'm sorry. So they had this view, right, that you could totally detach feeling from a person. And so, so the, the, the exercise would, would be to, to take a cup and break it and then say, I don't care about the cup. And break enough cups where you really don't care about breaking a cup and then graduate to something else, okay? A horse or a household pet or something like this. Literally, this was the exercise back in the first century. And if something happened to the, the horse or the household pet, just say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. And then you'd graduate to personal pain, Okay. And, and you'd take your personal pain and you'd experience something and you'd just say, I don't care. I don't care. And then you would graduate to the level of, of seeing a loved one in, in an extremely painful, perhaps death-like situation and say, nope, I don't care. To be content to the Stoics was to be devoid of feeling. And I think sometimes we, we borrow hints of that, right? We're content. We, we don't need anything. We don't need anybody. We have this self-centered view of a stiff upper lip, pulling myself up by the bootstraps, putting my big boy pants on, something that I learned to do on my own. So Paul takes this word that would have been very familiar and turns it on his head. He takes current culture and says, it's not self-centered security, it's not self-focused Stoicism. The Stoics prided themselves on the hard. Paul says, I've learned to be content even when I am brought low. And here the Stoics would have said, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't humble me. Don't humiliate me. But Paul says, no, even when I've been humiliated, when I've been brought low, when I've been abounding, when I've had plenty, when I've had success, Paul says there is this secret which really isn't a secret at all. Content is not saying that everything is okay. Content is when you can say it's really, really, really hard and really, really, really bad and in the same breath say, I know that God has got me. But content is also being willing to say, you know, I probably have enough. I mean, how many boats could I drive at once? How big is my garage so I can store all my cars? How many square feet do I really need to live in? Paul says, it's this. This is what is true about me. Little days and big days, days of smallness, days of largeness. I'm content in all of them. And circling back around to this idea of of, of need, what's harder, to be content with a lot or to be content with a little? Verse 13, it's very familiar, right? We love this verse. Sometimes we'll use this verse before sporting contests in which we have no reasonable chance of winning. (laughs) I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, I can do all things. What are the all things? Because it's not a verse that stands on its own. This is kind of driving me crazy. Luke, I'll put it back up for you when you're done. I just want to look over at Ross. I can't see just Ross's face. I see holy, 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 which isn't bad. (laughs) If you want to look at Ross and you see holy, 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 that's not a bad trade. That's a good spot to be in. Is that I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Like I can do all things. I know I've said it before. I can do all things, all things. I can do all things. I can win a sporting contest that I should have no right to win. I can make a business deal that I should have no right to get into. I can marry a gal that I have no right to be married to. I can do all things. And certainly I do not want to diminish the power of God to give us the strength to do all things. And whatever you're facing whatever I'm facing, the power of God is available for us. But that's not necessarily the first century context. The all things that Paul is talking about is being content when he has next to nothing and being content when he has most everything. F.F. Bruce has the idea. I have learned to be content because of the strength of Christ in my life. Far from needing nothing or no one, like the Stoics would say, Paul is saying, I value your care. And through our common identity, Jesus Christ, I can do all things. It's why we can say, God has got me. All things. If I have a Jesus-centered perspective, I can handle both the days of a lot and the days of not so much. That that on the days where there's not so much, I, I can be content, not angry. I mean, have you ever been in that situation where you're like cruising along and you're doing okay but not super okay, but you're doing pretty good okay, but not super great, and, and then you look at someone else who's not dissimilar to you, probably someone who's less than you, and you're like, why do they have it so good? And you're angry. I'm angry at them. I'm like, why do they have it so good? They shouldn't have it so good. Paul says, I can be content when I have just a little bit and someone else has a lot, I can be content, not angry. And and likewise, on the day that I have a lot, I've made it big. No. No, I haven't. On the day that I have the world by the tail, I can think it's me, it's all about me, and it's not. Content being able to do all things, being content through Him, Jesus Christ, who strengthens me, means that on the day of plenty, on the day when I have everything that I could possibly imagine, that I don't look for more thinking it's me. I look and say, God has been incredibly gracious in my life. What do I do with what I have? Content means that when I don't have much, I walk this pathway in which I know God will make a way. And I think community is a part of that, right? We're not on our own. And content on the day that we have a lot means God will make a way. There's a reason why He has given me the resources that I have so I can honor Him. Content when I don't have much is that I'm content to give my life away. My life is not my own, it belongs to the Savior. And content on the day that I have a lot is that I don't give it away too quickly, that I'm not careless with my life, that I don't invest in the wrong opportunities. And I'm not talking about an S&P index fund perspective. Content to not give it away too quickly just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you go, wow, I could really do this, no problem, write the check, done. But something in the back of your head says, really? Really, do you need to do that? Content in the day of want is being content to not have much. And I think it is true. The less you have, the less you have to worry about the stuff that you have. And content means on the day of planting, being content to not have to have more. Which I honestly think is a bigger challenge for us in Western Christianity. Because we think, rather than being content, we think we should always have more. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. If you're hurting today, please let someone in. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had not opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things, I can be content in all places. Through him who strengthens me. Please pray with me. Father, in the quietness of the moment, see our hearts. Let us reflect upon the question are we content? And if not, why not? Let us reflect upon the question, are we in need? Do we need someone to care about about me? Father, because of the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, the witness of the Spirit in our lives. The words of Paul are both challenging and encouraging. Words that we can be drawn to. Words that find their source in you. Bless our lives, O great God. Bless us with being content. In all things. You might